My name is Susan Peck. I'm the director of music here, as many of you already know. And I'm actually just have a wonderfully light day today because I'm here to welcome Lydia Clark, who you may have heard back in January at the piano. Lydia is now officially on our staff, and I'm so excited to welcome her. She's a brilliant musician, so please enjoy Lydia's music today.
in body and spirit for the call to worship. Into this home we bring our hunger for awakening. 
We bring compassionate hearts and a will toward justice. Into this home, we bring the courage to walk on after hard losses. Into this home, we bring our joy and gratitude for ordinary blessings. By our gathering, we bless this place. In its shelter, we know ourselves blessed. The words of Kathleen McTeague. Come, let us worship together, and may the light we kindle here spread out in acts of compassion, courage, and joy. You may be seated. Welcome, y'all, to First Unitarian. And y'all means y'all. Can you feel the love? How about on Zoom? Can you feel it? Let's give those folks some love, shall we? One. Two, this camera right over my shoulder. One, two, three, go. I can feel it. And not just because what most people appear to love in this country is football. I can feel it because that love is here for everyone. It is created by our shared presence and purpose. 
part of our purpose is to offer a service that is multi-ability, multicultural, multi-generational. Our goal here is not to not make noise. We're here to listen and support the ways others may listen and respond to what is happening. Do you need toys? Because our brand new playground in the frontier has toys and other things to play with for the little ones who may need to stretch out. If paper and pencils or crayons is your thing, young ones may want to sit at the table in the back and draw. Still other families may prefer the privacy of the family room across the hall with a live feed of the sanctuary with even more things to play with, read, or write on. Multi includes other generations, of course, meaning we might get the occasional buzz or boop, the whoosh of an oxygen tank or another device that maintains a certain quality of life. A person in distress or great joy may need to let it out, and we're with you either way. If you're new to this place, please know it's as much your space as ours. And together, we are making it what it can be. I know one new person, staff musician Lydia Clark, who it's time to welcome and show some love to. Lydia has been playing jazz and contemporary in the New Mexico music scene for years, also teaching piano, voice, and music theory, serving as music director at the Santa Fe Center for Spiritual Living and the Open Circle, composing songs and film scores and producing films of her own. We are fortunate to bring Lydia's many talents to our service and our music program. Good morning. Good morning. Today's story is an old one, but it's a common tale, one you might have even experienced yourself. This story comes with a job for everyone. Every time I ask a question, you should answer yes or no. I'll give you a hint by shaking my head. <laughs> Perhaps you've seen images of elephant families holding on to one another, trunk to tail, but it's not that way for every elephant. The king in this story had just one elephant and she lived alone in a magnificent stable with all she could want. If she had an itch, the caretaker, the mahout, took her to the river for a roll in the mud and a scrub in the water. Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> if she was hungry, she was served fine, sweet rice with the freshest fruits and vegetables, followed always by an elephant-sized sugar cube. How big is that? <laughs> really, that elephant had nothing to complain about except boredom. It was true. She spent much of her time rocking back and forth alone in her stable. Meanwhile, 
A stray dog lived just outside the royal stable. He hid in the shadows and rarely had enough to eat. His one pleasure was sitting below the stable window to enjoy the sweet smells of the food. Sometimes it almost made his belly feel full. One day, the stable door was left open, just enough for the skinny dog to squeeze through. He hid in the shadows. Would the elephant notice? But the dog noticed that when the elephant ate, she dropped all kinds of crumbs and she still seemed not to see him. So the dog found some courage. He crept right beneath that great big animal to feast on the crumbs. Still the elephant didn't seem to notice, though if you'd been looking carefully, you might've seen that she was rocking back and forth with more lightness. The dog was too busy licking up the crumbs to see that. When he finished eating, he crept back to the shadows and fell asleep. And so it went. The dog crawled under the elephant to lick up the crumbs, then retreated again. Did the elephant notice? But the odd thing was that she spilled more crumbs with each passing day. The dog grew healthier, and finally, one day, she looked down. The dog cowered a little. Was the elephant angry? She was delighted. She reached out her trunk and wrapped it around the dog in a warm embrace. That night, the two slept cuddled together. So it went. By night, the two friends slept cozy as could be, and by day, they shared food and exchanged stories. Things might have continued in this happy way for a long time, except that the Mahout heard that a merchant was looking for a dog. He thought of the stray dog in the stable. It didn't belong to anyone. Surely it wouldn't matter if he sold it to earn some extra coins. Would it matter? Did he do it anyway? Sadly, he didn't seem to be aware that he shouldn't, so he put the dog on a leash and brought him to the merchant. The merchant liked the healthy dog and the shiny coat and paid a good price and then dragged the dog away. The Mahout continued to care for the elephant, but she began to languish. She lost interest in her food and her spa treatments. She lay listlessly on the stable floor. Word spread. The king began to worry. What had happened to his elephant? Could the Mahout explain? When he couldn't say, the king called on his advisor for help. The advisor checked the elephant's ears and throat. He checked her temperature and her pulse. She wasn't sick, but one look in her eyes told the advisor that she was grieving. Grieving. The king called for the Mahout, who suddenly recalled the dog that he'd sold. Of course but he had no idea where the merchant lived. So the king issued a proclamation. Whoever has recently purchased a dog from the royal stable must return it at once. The news spread far and wide. Did it reach the ears of the merchant? Yes. 
better. <laughs> the dog had cried the whole time he'd been with the merchant, so the merchant was happy to let him go. As soon as he did, the dog raced straight to the elephant's stable. Was the elephant happy to see her friend? <laughs> she pulled herself up off the floor to wrap her trunk around the dog. They snuggled together for a very long time, and before long, the elephant's appetite returned. Having her friend was exactly the medicine she needed. It's some of the best medicine there is, you know. For even though the elephant was very well off and the dog was not, they both had been starved for friendship and affection. Let's prepare to meditate. I do love to talk about meditation, but sometimes the best approach is to just jump right in, or as the case may be, sit right in. So I invite you to find a comfortable seat. Let your shoulders drop away from your ears. Perhaps allow your eyes to close if that's comfortable. Now listen for sounds in your environment. We hear. Now turn your attention to your body. Don't try to fix anything in your body, just pay attention. How do you feel in general? Take note and then set it aside. Turn your attention to your breathing. Don't try to control your breath. Just be a witness to it. And maybe turn your attention to your heart. Let's sit together in silence.
Together in this service, we can, for a moment, put aside our daily distractions and turn our attention to the people and places for whom we're holding concerns. These may be deeply intimate, woven into our lives, or they may involve events across the planet from us or somewhere in between. When I sound the chime, I invite you to speak the names of those on your heart into our sanctuary. To all these, we add our prayers for our congregants. We lift up Melissa Nakud as she begins treatment for cancer. We pray for Carol Osland as she faces health challenges. And we remember Allison Grady as she recovers from ankle surgery. There is information on a meal train on the First Unitarian public Facebook page if you'd like to offer support. May all these folks feel the love of this congregation surrounding them and carrying them, and may they find healing and wholeness 
quickly and comfortably. And we pray for the Malecki family who celebrated the life of Marty Malecki yesterday in this sanctuary. May their memories of Marty be a blessing. All these we lift up to the great powers of healing and renewal known by many names. Let's join our hearts in prayer. We pray for the people of Turkey and Syria impacted by a devastating earthquake. May the world join together for a full recovery and may there be consolation for those who lost loved ones. We respond with horror at the news that a now deceased congregant of this church was a serial assaulter of women. We pray for all those that were harmed. May they find wholeness and healing. And we hold in our hearts all those for whom this awful event brings back memories of their own trauma. May we one day live in a society free of violence towards women. I'll be available after the service for anyone who wishes to find some support or if you prefer to come another time, Angela and I are available. Feel free to reach out. You don't need to go through this alone. And we call for men to step up, to examine their own inadvertent participation in a culture of violence. May all men own the responsibility to end sexual assault. We pray for the youth of our congregation who are traveling to Santa Fe this week to educate lawmakers about legislation that impacts youth, especially queer and trans youth. May they and our youth coordinator, Alana Rodriguez, have safe travels and great success in the Roundhouse. And we pray for our state legislature during this 60-day session. May they work towards creating a more just and caring state, a state where young people are safe where our natural resources are valued as precious. And may we all be held in the heart of love. Love be with you.
tracks building their house the rain falling down and the wind in the trees you might even hear a grasshopper sneeze when we walk The Creation of Pets. Adam and Eve said, Lord, when we were in the garden, you walked with us every day. Now we do not see you anymore. We are lonely here, and it is difficult for us to remember how much you love us. And God said, no problem. I will create a companion for you that will be with you forever and who will be a reflection of my love for you so that you will love me even when you cannot see me. Regardless of how selfish or childish or unlovable you may be, this new companion will accept you as you are and will love you as I do in spite of yourselves. <laughs> and God created a new animal to be a companion for Adam and Eve. And it was a good animal. And God was pleased. And the new animal was pleased to be with Adam and Eve, and he wagged his tail. And Adam said, Lord, I already named all the animals in the kingdom, and I cannot think of a name for this new animal. And God said, no problem, because I have created this new animal to be a reflection of my love for you. His name will be a reflection of my own name, and you will call him Dog. And Dog lived with Adam and Eve, and was a companion to them, and loved them. 
and they were comforted. And God was pleased, and Dog was content and wagged his tail. After a while, it came to pass that an angel came to the Lord and said, Lord, Adam and Eve have become filled with pride. They strut and preen like peacocks, and they believe they are worthy of adoration. Dog has indeed taught them that they are loved, but perhaps too well. And God said, no problem. I will create for them a companion who will be with them forever and will see them as they are. The companion will remind them of their limitations so they will know that they are not always worthy of adoration. And God created Cat to be a companion to Adam and Eve. And Cat would not obey them. And when Adam and Eve gazed into Cat's eyes, they were reminded that they were not supreme beings. And Adam and Eve learned humility, and they were greatly improved. And God was pleased, and Dog was happy, and Cat didn't care one way or another. <laughs> That's a reading that, like most scripture, has been shared widely, but the author is unknown. And as we say of many religious stories, I think we can say of this one, I don't know if it really happened, but I know that it's true. <laughs> the sermon topic was a winning topic in last fall's social justice auction. And I think it's such a sweet subject, the souls of animals, and it's one that is fun to think about and it also raises moral questions, and I'll talk about those as well. The title, The Souls of Animals, kind of sounds like a foregone conclusion. Animals have souls. But that has been a subject of a lot of debate and a fair amount of belittling and ridicule as well. In the world of Western science, animals have usually been treated like biological machines, things to be studied and experimented upon, historically especially. And Western philosophy has described human beings in special terms that are specifically meant to set us apart from animals. We're self-aware, spiritually oriented beings that are uniquely capable of altruism, of doing something for the good of another and not for yourself. Humans have sophisticated language and free will, animals not so much. That's the difference, or so it has seemed for a very long time to the Western world. And if anybody argued that animals feel love, grief, embarrassment, or that they think about their own death, that person was accused of anthropomorphizing, of trying to make animals people-like. So has that actually changed? I think it is beginning to. It seems like we are 
on the cusp of some really interesting new technology that will radically shift our consciousness. And I'll come back to that in a little bit. First, do animals have souls? Well, that begs another question. How would we know? Which begs another question. What is a soul, right? What is a soul? That is a tough question. It's one for which our Unitarian Universalist faith does not offer a prepackaged direct answer. I've often shared that I think of the soul as the part of people that is not made up of physical parts. Our stories of our lives are not made up of physical parts. Same with our love for others, our hopes, our dreams, our awareness that we are alive and have a self or seem to in this world. When we speak of soulfulness, it has to do with those things. But is there even more to it? Is there something, a soul that was pre-existing before we were born and that will endure after? And if it does endure, is it like a drop of water that merges with the ocean and is not, it becomes indistinguishable after that? Or is it more like a star that takes its place in the sky among the other stars and remains distinct? We just don't know. And since we don't know, I'm not sure how we could ever say in a strictly factual way, who has one, right? So we need another approach though. We, want, we need one that has to do with the qualities of experience that give rise to this whole idea in the first place. Because so whatever we think its technical aspects are, whether a soul exists forever or not, whether it's created by mechanisms of the mind or by some other esoteric force, the concept of a soul like all theological concepts, arrives from lived experience. And it reflects a part of our existence that's just not adequately described by the language we have for other things like body and mind. Experiences like when you are in the presence of something beautiful and you are moved by it. And not just up here in our heads, right? But in our hearts and maybe even all throughout our whole bodies if that experience gives us tingles. And experiences like when you lose yourself in something, like a piece of music, a story, or art, or when you come to church and you find yourself moved to tears without quite knowing why, then you are experiencing a connection with what we have come to call your soul. And we experience that connection also when we are relating to another soul. My old dog, Vega, died last August. She was a 13-year-old Great Pyrenees dog, which for that breed is equivalent to being about 105 years old. She was old lady. 80 pounds of soft white fur and gentle disposition with beautiful black-rimmed eyes. So much white fur, friends. <laughs> when she walked through a beam of sunlight, you could see it sprinkling off of her like a salt shaker. I still miss her all the time. What I miss is not a big dog-shaped fur shaker, but the being that she was, who was part of my family. Not a thing, but a being. In the 12 years we spent together, I had a sense not just of what she was, but of who she was, a quiet, mostly patient being who had likes and dislikes. She never thought fetch was very interesting. 
She did like to rip the guts out of a soft toy to find the squeaky bit with a ruthlessness that was really in contrast to her usual easygoing nature. She got grumpy when she saw everybody getting ready to leave the house. She was sad when I left overnight for church conferences and she would watch for me by the door. And whenever I returned, she pressed her forehead against me in a special way that was reserved only for reuniting after a long separation. It was different than her other greeting when I came home. One day I replaced Vega's usual dog food with a new kind that was made from salmon. And I set the dish down in front of her and walked away. And about 60 seconds later, the food was gone. And she was standing in the hallway, staring at me with, and this could not have been more obvious, a look of awe and wonder on her face, <laughs> actual wonder on her face. She could not believe what had just happened, and she was coming to share that with me. When she was dying, I kept a vigil with her, just as I would with any family member. A few weeks later, I read about new work scientists have been doing to decode animal speech. It uses some of the same technology that gives us speech recognition for voice to text and for translation apps like Google Translate. The same machine learning can analyze patterns in animal sounds, breaking it down into smaller and more distinct parts than our human ears can detect. Using algorithms, this technology has already been able to tell one animal from another within the same species, and it can distinguish different dialects of animal speech within the same species. Naked mole rats, it turns out, have quite a lot to say. According to scientists at the Max Planck Institute for Brain Research, when two naked mole rats meet in a tunnel, they exchange a standard yet complex greeting in a pattern of soft chirps. Each one has a unique voice, and each colony has its own dialect that is passed down over generations. And in times of social change, for example, when a colony's queen is forcibly removed and replaced, a new dialect will take hold after that transition. This kind of research is taking place at multiple universities and labs in many different countries. It's been applied to rodents, fruit bats, lemurs, whales, pigs, crows, and chickens so far. Researchers are especially interested in the syntax and semantics of whale communication. And get this, they can now use machines to talk back to the whales to generate new whale speech that is not pre-recorded, but uses what the machine has learned to generate new speech that sounds real in whale. So it raises this possibility of being able to communicate with whales in their own language. Seriously. <laughs> okay, I'm just like, psh. Michael Bronstein is a machine learning expert at Oxford. And he's part of a project called the Cetacean Translation Initiative, or SETI. He says, at some point, it might be a real dialogue. As a scientist, this is probably the craziest project I have ever participated in. That's an Oxford scientist saying that. Crazy because it once seemed impossible, right? And crazy because nothing shifts our consciousness like a conversation with somebody who has an inner world and a culture that is different than ours. 
Even in the absence of Google Translate for whales and other non-human critters, it's, it is obvious that animals are sentient beings. And although there are differences among them, among us, all of us animals, those differences are a matter of degree. Perhaps some are more sentient than others, but all are beings. Human beings are just not as exceptional as was once thought. Human beings are one of many kinds of beings. Ethically, morally, sentient beings should be treated with kindness. They should not be treated just as a means to some other end. Yet we humans do treat them that way. For decades now, people have raised the alarms about the immorality and cruelty of factory farming. Many of us will remember seeing videos recorded by activists who sneaked into factory farms. Lobbyists for the industry got laws passed making that kind of activism illegal. But we know that things have really not changed much. And it isn't bad for the non-human animals who live there. Factory farms contaminate the water supply. They affect humans and other life forms downriver. They create foul air pollution that ruins nearby communities. And they're unhealthy for the people that work there as well. Other times we treat animals as an inconvenience, ruining their habitats to make room for more people stuff. Epidemiologists have warned for years that as wild spaces get smaller and people impose more and more on other animals, we're going to see a greater number of new viruses crossing from other animals into humans, likely causing more pandemics. A warning that really lands now, doesn't it? Treating any part of creation, a human, a plant, or an other part of creation, as merely a commodity to use up or to get out of the way has gotten us into deep trouble as a species. In Unitarian Universalism, our seventh principle is respect for the interdependent web of existence of which we are a part, web of all existence of which we are a part. So we use recognize and we have for a really long time that our fate is bound up with that of the planet and our non human neighbors. It's why when we built the sanctuary, it was the first lead platinum house of worship in the state of New Mexico. That's the highest level of environmental design. It's why the wild area to the east of our social hall over here, which you could see out the windows if the blinds were raised, is a certified wildlife habitat. You might have noticed that it gets a little messier than other parts of the campus with dead stalks staying up all through the winter, for example, and that kind of thing. And that's because it's not just for people. It's for critters who enjoy the seeds and the shelter that those plants have to share. And the plants benefit too, for example, when those critters help spread the seeds around or help get rid of the plants pests. These might seem like small gestures in the grand scheme of things. But when we're faced with overwhelming moral problems, like being born into vast harmful systems that are not of our own making and are hard to avoid, it's important to start with our sphere of influence, right? Because like out there in the world, that's a big, big sphere, giant things, things in faraway places that we probably can't directly impact. But because everything is connected, as it says in that seventh principle, we can find an issue out there that we care about and we can kind of zoom in closer to find our own sphere of influence on it. 
you can impact the animals around you by making little habitats or planting a few things that they enjoy, by changing your diet, by taking action that impacts our local environment. You could make an impact by communicating with legislators who make laws that then have a bigger impact, right? You're using your sphere of influence to influence them and then they have a different sphere of influence and so it spreads out that way. Our church's EarthWeb group has a lot of ideas about how to do that, including in this current legislative session. I think they had a table out last Sunday to help get the word out. I met my dog Vega at Animal Humane. Adopting a stray or a rescue critter is another way that we can pitch in. So we focus on what we can do. And for more ideas, we have another group here at the church. Come on up, Sharon, if you're ready. I'm talking about our animal advocates group. In fact, I think a lot of them were at the social justice auction the day that this topic became a winner, <laughs> which was great. That group, uh, Animal Advocates, started over a decade ago in 2010, and Sharon Hall is one of the group's founders and leaders and has been all this time. And after all these years, she is ready to pass the torch. She is stepping down from leading that group, and she wants to invite others to carry it forward. So to conclude today's message, I've invited Sharon to just say a couple of words about what they do. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. I'm Sharon Hall, one of the founding members of the First Unitarian Animal Advocates. I have loved animals all my life. When I moved here to Albuquerque, the best thing I did was to join this church. So I hope I'm getting emotional. Um, the next best thing I did was to discover the National UU Animal Ministry, which has chapters all across the country. So in 2010, with the approval of the UUAM, and the blessing of our ministers here at First Unitarian, our own chapter, Animal Advocates, was born. All the support we have received from you, ministers, staff, congregation, has been a tremendous gift. But in the beginning, the idea of an animal ministry was highly questionable to some. I was dumbstruck when one person asked me, why animals, why not people? So why an animal ministry? What does an animal ministry do? Our own animal advocates mission includes assistance, advocacy, and humane education. We have been able to raise and donate over $25,000 to hundreds of local nonprofits saving animals and helping people whose lives they touch. In terms of advocacy, we lobbied to help pass Roxy's law, which prohibits cruel traps and poisons on New Mexico public lands. And we hosted a forum with animal protection voters to discuss important animal welfare legislation. Our humane education has included information on a range of topics. Animals as teachers and healers, pet trusts, community cats, plant-based eating, and we've had speakers from Paws and Stripes and other local animal welfare and rescue groups. Of course, there were celebrations and fun as well. Our animal blessings, field trips, Critter Club for Kids, potluck and movie nights. This is just a snapshot of our 13 years. So it's not why animals, why not people? Animals bring people together across the divides of politics, race, faith, age, gender, and socioeconomics. We are coming to realize at a much deeper level the truth of the seventh principle, that we are a part of the independent, interdependent web of all existence. Sorry. 
We have come to know that the non-human animals sharing our planet are sentient beings able to perceive and feel and with family systems and skills that took human science a very long time to recognize and appreciate. Relationships with animals help us recognize our interconnectedness and this awareness is the foundation of compassion. Animal Advocates truly appreciates your support. And if you share our belief that animals matter, I invite you to join us to ensure that our work on their behalf continues. We have brochures out in the lobby and we're also on Realm. We are nourished by what we do and we are grateful to be members of a church community that extends compassion and justice to all beings. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon, and thank you for that reminder of the interconnected web of life, of love we all belong to. To get stuck on the why of this thing, as if it necessarily means not this other thing, is to lose the point of that interconnectedness, to give in to exclusionary thinking. People, but not animals. These people, but not those people. People of color, but not that combination of colors. Women, but not trans women. It's a slippery slope to start saying who we are and who we're not, cutting ourselves off from the whole of who we are. That's not who we are. This web of life is our teacher, teaching us all that it's all connected. And we're learning as this congregation devotes a portion of resources through Change for the Future on Sunday mornings, the last three months, to Street Safe New Mexico, a small organization directing all its resources to the needs of sex trafficking victims. Please give to this fearless organization addressing gender violence, workplace discrimination, sexual assault, the housing deficit, research deficit, and more than anything, education deficit on these issues, all with an all-volunteer staff. Give, but also check out their website. Five minutes will do wonders to humanize these women while also offering a crash course in what trafficking is and is not, how the majority of women apprehended by police for prostitution are legally not criminals, but victims. Loose change and bills, envelopes marked CFF, these will go directly to StreetSafe. We are connected. Our resources, our time, our money, our energy, our ideas, like the genetic information of that connective tissue evolving from one thing to the next, set the code for the world we want to see. We will now take the offering.
Are there secrets that you know that you will share? Or will you fly around without a care? Give me wings to fly like you. What is generously given is received with gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian and Street Safe New Mexico. Angela, would you like to say a few words about what's happening in our social hall this afternoon? Yes, thank you. Um, you can find some information about it in your order of service. I lifted this up last week as well. We've organized a film screening this afternoon at 4 p.m. in the social hall, followed by a town hall with one of our New Mexico state senators and the filmmaker. This is about a really important justice issue. And it has to do with non-consensual exams taking place in medical schools on unconscious patients. So very, ah. So, um, Please come, and I'm really happy to say that since we got involved and started um, bringing awareness to it and saying we were going to invite people, um, a bill has been introduced about it in the current legislative session. And so it was underway, but it kind of stalled out, and now it's posted, and we are really thrilled about that. We hope lots of people will turn out. Yes, the state legislature is in session. And there are many bills in the works that impact the health and autonomy of people with uteruses. Our partner, the Religious Coalition of Reproductive Choice, is holding a lobby day this coming Thursday, February 16th, and you are invited to join them at the Roundhouse and make your voice heard. One bill, HB 07, the Reproductive and Gender Affirming Care Freedom Act, was approved in committee a week ago and should be going to the House floor on Friday. Check out the order of service if you'd like to register. 
If you can't make the trip to Santa Fe, you can still reach out to our elected officials by phone or email. And with all this talk about the eighth principle, perhaps you've been wondering about the other seven. You're new or newish to Unitarian Universalism. You're invited to the UU 101 class. This two hour introduction to our principles and sources will take place in person at 10 a.m. on Saturday, March 11th. Email Reverend Bob if interested. Thank you. If you're new today and you feel like getting a warm welcome from us, if you want to put your hand up, we'd love to give you a round of applause. Any visitors for the first or second time? All right. Well, for everybody who's been here for a while, we're glad you're back. Thanks a lot. I invite you all to rise in body or spirit. Let's share our pacham, our peace greeting, one hand on your heart, the other reaching out towards your community. These are the people who are our companions on the journey. Blessed be. Thank you. Go ahead. Some sing low and some sing high or some sing out loud on the telephone wire and Some just clap their hands or pause for anything they got now Listen to the bass, it's the one on the bottom Where the bullfrog croaks and the hippopotamus Moans and groans with the big to-do And the big chow just goes moo Dogs and cats, they take up the middle Where the honeybee hums and the crickets fiddle The donkey brays and the bony neighs The old coyote howls, yes, howl All God's critters got a place in the choir Some sing low and some sing high or Some sing out loud, telephone wire And some just clap their hands or paws For anything they got now Listen to the top where the little birds sing The melody with the high notes ringing And the hoot owl hollers over everything The jaybird disagrees Singing in the night, singing in the day The little duck quacks and he's on his way The possum ain't got much to say The porcupine talks to himself all God's critters got a place in the choir Some sing low, some sing high Some sing out loud on the telephone wire Some just clap their hands or paws Or anything they got now All God's critters got a place in the choir Some sing low, some sing high Some sing out loud on the telephone wire Some just clap their hands or paws or anything they got now. <laughs> that was delightful. <laughs> Go in peace, friends. May love bless you and keep you until we are gathered again. <laughs>